Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So is it important for a sex addict to analyze their fantasies and arousal template? Um... I think that if somebody is in the stage of their recovery where they're working, once you've worked past the initial part of acting out and you've gotten sober and, you know, your life is stable in terms of acting out, then I think it's worth a look. You know, it depends. I'm not sure what the person's asking. Like if they're into fetishes or into unusual arousal behavior, that's probably something they should talk about and look at in the beginning. But if they want to explore why they have certain fantasies or what's that about or what turns them on. I wouldn't do any of that stuff until they got some time under their belt because you don't want to get, even just going to therapy and talking about things like that can be very triggering. And then you end up leaving therapy. And so I think a solid layer foundation of support and recovery, look at whatever you want to look at, follow your therapist. I'm sure I gave the exact answer, shame answer that you're going to give, which is two things. Number one, I have worked with betrayed spouses for 25 years. And I will tell you, one of the main features I see you guys struggle with is that you have a feeling or a thought that if you have more information, that somehow it's going to get better. Or if you just learn this, then that's going to be the key. And you're not alone. Every spouse I've ever met wants that. The problem is, is that it's not going to make you feel better. It feels like it will, but it's actually going to make you feel more scared, more worried. And guess what? You're going to have more questions. And so reassuring yourself with answers to questions other than doing a formal disclosure and hearing everything, you know, I don't think that's particularly helpful. And as to the other piece, um, you know, I would not share graphic information with my spouse. I do not want to be having sex with my spouse and having them thinking, oh, he was doing this with that person. And you're picturing. So we give the information you need to have where, when, what, how, what it costs. But the actual detail of the sexual act, or what this person looked like, or not going to talk about that because it's torture for you. It'll keep you on an endless cycle of pain. And it really doesn't benefit the relationship as much as you might feel it will. Was that like your answer? Yes, you went to the first part, you shared a a different lens, but I went to the you don't need all those details stuck in your head forever, where you're always thinking about he did that position with this person. And yeah, you're like, yeah, it's just further traumatizing for partners. So and then there's oh, their boobs are bigger than mine and my comparing yourself all that crap you don't need. Yes, yes. I, I can't tell you how many and this is just from a woman's perspective, have gone and gotten plastic surgery to look more like the ideal that they think they need to be. And, you know, so, and then later regret it, you know, for a number of reasons, you know, so it's all, it's all fine. I told, I said to this person, you get, you ultimately get to pick that would not be what I wish for you. So, okay. The next one, hello, how should I respond to if my spouse is sober for eight months and continues golfing and socializing with men he acted out with, went to strip clubs and prostitutes with? Well, I would change the locks. That's what I would do. I would be shocked I am shocked at your husband is a husband's lack of empathy, lack of understanding of how this might affect you and lack of insight into the fact that this is the very same situations that led to what he was doing. So I think you as a partner have every right to say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable with you doing that. And it could be a long time before I do. And I need you to respect that. If somebody went well, also, I want to say to you that if this these people were aware 
that your husband was seeing sex workers or going to strip clubs and they didn't say anything. They just let it go on or they went with him. I'm not sure. I mean, these aren't relationships he should be having. And I think he can find new people to play golf with. And uh, so I just, I think the focus on you in the first, the focus on the first year is how can I accommodate you to make you feel better and safer? And so if I'm doing things that make you feel less safe and not any better, then I'm probably doing the wrong thing. And hanging on to, what do we call lower companions? You know, a lot of drug addicts want to hang out with the friends they made when they were using, and they're really good friends, and they spend a lot of time together, unfortunately, used together, and that's where they're going to end up again, so they choose not to. Um, and that's a choice based on recovery, and recovery is not always easy. I sometimes have to say goodbye to people and things that I thought were always going to be in my life. Do I want to get well, or do I want to have what I want? So, Tammy, do you want to throw anything in there to that one? I would, There are people in recovery that golf. You, you can go golfing, you can go do activities with recovery people. That's a safe environment to go do those things with. Yeah, this is I, like, I, I honestly question if he's sober for eight months, because if he's doing this kind of thing, then to me, there's probably not a whole lot of recovery work. Because if he was talking to his sponsor and going, you know, My I'm wondering, this. yes, and I'm wondering if I should go um, golfing with the guys I used to go to the strip clubs and see prostitutes with. Right. The sponsor would say no. So, so to me, there's not a whole lot of recovery going on. So, I also Sorry. wrote a book for this guy called "Out of the Doghouse: A Relationship Saving Guide for Men Caught Cheating," and I wrote it for men like this who don't have a clue or really are insensitive to the amount of pain they cost a partner, and most women buy out of the doghouse they read it and then they throw it at their spouse to saying you read this so it's a paperback um, so it's not injurious so yes thank you very much okay so the next question spouse of an addict after my latest discovery i'm so sorry i hate that when there's latest and disclosure i was diagnosed with hpv how do my husband and i move forward with this with physical intimacy well um, for one thing, I really hope that you get a lot of medical care and are really attentive to yourself. Women get cervical cancer from HPV. Men get an annoying wart or two, although we can get anal cancer if we have HPV there. But um, this is a very serious thing. And this is not like giving you syphilis or this is more like herpes. You're going to live with this the rest of your life. Um, if you're a woman, it may complicate birth. I mean, there are all kinds of issues. So the first thing I would do is be freaking furious. And I'm not sure that sexual intimacy would be on my mind. Now, I don't know how long these folks have been working on this. Um, by the way, how do you deal with your sexual needs? Buy a vibrator. <laughs> Take care of yourself. You get to enjoy yourself sexually if you wish to. It has nothing to do with him or her. Um, yeah, Tammy, do you have thoughts? I was like, why would you want to like, and it says latest discovery. So this means there's a whole pattern of this. This is not like one time and gosh, we're really working on it. You know, he's, I'm using he and she and I, so just for clarification's sake, but sex crosses, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, this would be, I've had multiple discoveries until there was some, some measure of safety. safety where I, you know, like the person that was still going out golfing with the, you know, with the uh, prostitute buddies, it's like, you know, what is this person doing actions that you can see that they're moving forward in recovery so that this isn't another pattern where you're going to be, you know, back at the doctor with more medical issues. So, and, and also, I guess I want to say to you guys, this is what seeking integrity is about. I don't usually push out our 12, our treatment program, but I will say that 
both of these men seem to, both the golf guy and this one, seem clueless about the pain and harm they've caused. And, you know, if you don't have empathy for your partner, you're going to do it again. If you don't feel part of what, so part of what treatment is, it's about confronting denial. And a big part of my denial is I can do this and it won't hurt you. You know, as long as you don't know, as long as you don't find out. And then when, of course, partners are hurt every single day because we're non-intimate, we're distant, we give you, you know, stuff happens. So, um, so I, I'm with you, Tammy. I think that these are the kinds of cases that really need a little bit more support. And the reason I say that is because I think they're legitimate questions that the spouse is asking, but they're kind of asking them like incredulous. I mean, to me, they're it's like, what are you kidding me? Of course they should be doing that. But they're politely asking them like, you know, it makes me feel bad for them and wanting them to have their power back. And we have betrayed partner support groups, our drop-in groups on this website, sexandrelationshiphealing.com. I strongly encourage you, um, the, the partners will rally around you and help you um, re refocus your lens. How's that? So, okay, next question. Why do sex addicts shame spiral all the time, even when talking about something other than their addictions. Anytime I need to follow up with him with something he has been lagging on, really anything at all, he seems to get defensive, turn it around, pout, blame me, etc. Any normal discussion with another healthy person when it comes, when this convo is had with an addict, it becomes difficult to help. Okay, I just wrote an answer. Uh, I have to Whoops, I wrote an answer to the group. <laughs> I just wanted to type the word. The word is narcissism. Narcissism, first of all, all addicts are narcissistic when they're acting out because our focus is what we want, when we want it, and we're not thinking about anyone else. We don't have empathy for you because we're only interested in what we want to do. But beyond that, um, narcissistic people tend to need to be right, tend to get angry when challenged, tend to... Um, avoid criticism, tend to externalize and put it back on you. So the behaviors that you're talking about are really not related to sex addiction. They're more related to who this person is and, you know, what's underneath a lot of this hiding they've been doing. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, again, this is a therapy issue, a treatment issue. I mean, this man hurts you. By the way, we don't all shame spiral, but I'll tell you what shame is. And I love this thought about it. Um, shame is selfish. Shame is selfish because it's poor me and I'm a bad person and why are you criticizing me and me, 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 me. But that's not the same as empathy or compassion. And to me, you know, I can say I ruined my partner's life. I feel so awful about it. I hate myself. That doesn't help my partner. If I say I can't imagine what he or she is going through and how can I support them in their pain, that's empathy. So what you're talking about is a man who's very selfish who's very stuck in his selfishness. And it could be a therapy issue. It's probably a therapy issue, but it also could be, uh, I mean, this is a therapy issue. That's really the, he's not, personalities don't change without a lot of work. And I'm sorry. So the next question is, um, oops. Oh, prostitutes with, I missed one. So prostitutes with, I'm triggered by this and don't feel safe. It is, is it an appropriate boundary to say he needs to not be with friends with, with the men he cheated on me with? They socially went together to cheat on their wives. My husband is an essay and goes to five, six meetings a week and has a C set, but he has no empathy. Well, this is the same. It must be must be disturbed addicts night <laughs> because this, we've seen this, this is a this is the second part to the previous one with the you know the hanging out with i think yeah yeah i mean 
your safety is your safety and nobody gets to say what makes you feel safe or not. And if I have hurt you and I am no longer equal to you and I have let you down, that it is my job to show up to make you feel better. I would never think of asking, I mean, even in early recovery, I would never think of asking my partner to put up with my hanging out with people I acted out with. I, I just think that's not only unempathic, it's cruel because you're sitting at home thinking, is he at it again? Is he doing it again? You know, it's just, and this is a continuation of questions about from partners, do I have the right to be so, do I have the right to expect this? Do I have the right to ask this? You bet you do. All bets are off if I violate our trust. And if in order for you to regain trust, you have to be able to say, I don't feel comfortable with you doing that. And I don't feel comfortable with you doing that. And I need to listen. I've had men quit jobs because they were so involved with different people at work and their spouse felt so uncomfortable about it that they had to leave that job. And they did because their marriage and their relationship was more important to them than getting a raise. And so I think that we have to be completely willing. Now, you want to hit me? Not okay. You know, you want to do abusive things to me? Not okay. But within reason, you know, I really owe you one. And I'm going to manage to deal with your anger and tolerate it and also be accommodating because that's the only way out. And I hate these guys who are bullying these women. Like it really sounds like oh, someone's laughing out loud. Why are they laughing out loud? Just oh, it's a cerebratic night. Yeah. Well, it's really vulnerable spouses night, you know, who want to have a voice, but the addict is not giving them a voice. And ahead, so I, I love 12 step. I really do. But here's what I'm reading. And I'm, you know, I don't know any of this, but I'm reading, I'm going to five to six meetings a week and I have a CSAT. What more do you want? But I, but I don't hear any changes. I'm still hanging out with the, it's like Dr. Rob said, I'm still hanging out with my bar friends. I'm still doing the same things that I did before going to a bunch of meetings, you can warm the seat, you know, you can check the boxes. We've had, I call them Mr. Recoveries at our treatment program. Yes. Where they are checking off all the boxes and are, you know, big people in the treatment world in their area. And they like that and they're lying to everyone in themselves. And so, so just checking off the boxes doesn't cut it. What his actions show, that's, that's when you know that he's actually getting recovery. And how do you know he's going to five or six meetings a week would be my question. How do you really know that? And what's going on? See, if it were me, I would call that CSAT and I would leave a message because you don't need a release to talk to a therapist. And I would tell my spouse, I'm going to call your therapist and tell him I'm really concerned about this and you're not listening to me and I'm, I feel like it's out of control. This isn't traditional therapy where there's intense private. I mean, this is about the coupleship. This is about them saving your relationship. And if you need to say, I don't feel safe with this and my spouse is not listening, I give you permission to call that therapist because I don't know, like Tammy said, this may, I don't even know if this person is checking the boxes, but how could they hear the pain and the struggle without identifying it and want to fix it? Um, by the way, I, well, anyway, we won't continue with that person. Okay, so the next question, have there been any recent studies showing improvement in sex addicts with ADHD who have been treated properly with medication? Yes, Dr. Rob did a podcast with Dr. Todd Love. I've got Todd Love and Troy Love, and I have to think. So Dr. <clears throat> Todd Love and Dr. Todd Love also did a, a webinar um, on a Super Saturday Recovery Summit. So he he is very well versed on all of this. If you email me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com and ask for me for the links, I'll send you that information. But, you know, it, it like it was I almost fell out of my chair when he was talking about 
how important it is to properly treat ADHD. Um, so I would invite you to reach out to me for that. Any other? And I just want to say one. I'm sorry, Tammy. No, go you? ahead. I, I just for those of you who aren't familiar, we we have some research on co-occurring mental health issues with with behavioral addictions, in particular sexual behavior. And we do know that about 20% of sex addicts are also have ADD or ADHD. So because um, we're impulsive and we're not thinking and we just make decisions and so, and then we end up lying about. So anyway, I, I, it doesn't guarantee recovery. Nobody's going to go on meds and get but what medication for the ADD person does is it gives them a moment to think, do I want to do this? Is this a good idea? That precious moment to think rather than just acting. And so the, the meds are very helpful, but they don't fix the person. Was that the answer? Did I answer the, answer the question properly, Tim? You did. Well, we so, both did. We're a team. Yes. Yes. So next okay. question. When I go into public, I'm constantly aware of the women around me and I want all I want to do is check them out. It takes a lot of energy to focus on something else. This is painful for my wife. It makes her feel undesirable, small and doesn't want me to go in public with her for that reason. What can I do practice to reduce how distracting this is for me? And what's a healthy way to approach this with my wife? Well, the healthy way to approach it with your wife is to not do it because your wife doesn't want to discuss it or deal with it. She just wants it to go away. And she wants to be as she should be when you're sitting eating dinner, the focus of your attention. Now, I, I will, we have something in the 12-step programs and I use it in treatment. We call it the three-second rule. So let me go back and say this. Addicts are not very good at not doing things. We're much better at doing things. So you're kind of saying, I'm not going to look at that person. I'm not going to, that's not going to work real well. But if you say what I'm going to do when I find someone attractive, and these are the three, this is what we do. It's a three-step process. The first thing you do, and this will not be hard on your wife, because this is just normal. You'd look over and see someone attractive. And the second moment you look away, you don't stare, you don't go back, you don't. And the third second, you you validate that person's humanity. You, you think of them as someone's daughter or sister or mother or whatever it is. So there is a moment because we're all human. Oh, that person's attractive. And then we look away. Um, it Indulging that, and that's what it is, by the way, indulging those moments um, is not only, it will not only be unfair to our partner who feels violated right in front of us, but it also revs us up. Ooh, because I know what's be to sex. I know what it is to be a sex addict. It's, oh, I, I like that. I want some of that. Well, if I can't get it there, maybe I get it somewhere else. And so it gets the brain going in the wrong direction. Um, by the way, there's nothing wrong with saying to your partner during dinner, I've been finding myself looking at other women and I'm so sorry. I don't mean for that to offend you. And I'm really going to work on my three second role. Um, because I think oftentimes things go unsaid or the partner is just the angry one and I, because they're being violated in the moment. And I think for us to say, hey, wait a minute, I noticed you noticed, like be real. I noticed you noticed me looking at that person and I completely understand what you're feeling. And, you know, it's something that you not only need to deal with internally, but you also need to let your spouse know that you're aware that this hurts them and you're working to not do it. And I think it's really important, like you just said, to focus on what we can do. So the three second rule, but I think it's also, I'm, you know, I'm going to, with intention, I'm going to be going out with my partner. I'm going to pay attention to my partner. I'm going to hold my partner's hand. I'm going to make sure that my focus is directed to my partner rather than, oh my gosh, I just can't be looking around and doing all that. You know, it's going to be like, it's like, it's almost like you're setting yourself up for this whole disaster because I'm going to see other people. It's going to bother my partner, all of these things. And it isn't, um, so then it's, 
trying not to do rather than here's what I can do. So, you know, I think that that can be empowering and, you know, and even bookending it, I'm going out, I'm calling my sponsor. I'm going out with my spouse. I want to, I, I want to have some boundaries. I'm going to, to my spouse. I'm going to do this. And then when I get back, I'm going to call you and I'm going to tell you how I did it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So, so. You know, uh, Tammy, something I used to do early in recovery when I didn't know how to do anything more is I would see some attractive. I just look down because the only reason to look is to try to get something going either in my head or with that person. And I have no reason to do that. So I might as well just look down. And by the way, the looking down reminds me of the shame that I feel when I'm hurting myself and others. So uh, it's kind of humanizing. If you can't do the three seconds, just look at the floor because you're better off than staring at that person. And by the way, what do you think it's like for that person to be stared at? So I had in group at Seeking Integrity, I was running group not that long ago. And, um, and I've lost a bunch of weight. I've lost like 25 pounds. So I had to buy some new clothes. And I bought clothes that fit. They weren't extremely tight, but they fit. And I went into work and one of the clients said to me something like, uh, they were triggered because I was wearing these really tight pants and they wish that they didn't have to look at that or something like that. And I felt terrible. Like I had done something wrong for wearing clothing that was not, you know, but this person got triggered and what did they do? They blame me. So um, I think, um, uh, what do I want to say about that? So, and so by being looked at in that way for the, you know, one of the few times that I had it coming from the other side, it made me feel ashamed. I felt like I'd done something wrong. Why is this person, or did I encourage that? Did I do so? so also you might think about the person you're staring at and how your behavior might affect them. Um, you don't know if they have abuse and people used to, you know, you don't know if someone walked down the street and hurt them and they stare, you don't know their history. And so, yeah, humanizing them and look down. <laughs> okay. So next question. Um, I put this one in the answer too. Do you know how many sex love addicts who were also compulsive gamblers? Is it not uncommon for this pairing? Um, well, this is a tough one. Um, so one of the, I'm going to mention again, we run a treatment program called Seeking Integrity. And the reason that uh, we created it is because of this issue of co-occurring addictions. We have people who are just sex addicts. We also have people who struggle with drugs and sex. It's not unusual for people to struggle with food and sex, gambling and sex. They're intensity seekers. They're looking to escape through, oh, let me see the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's not a good thing. So um, it, wait, it makes sense. For some of us, addiction is like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, I put push it down in this area. I've worked with lots of guys who they got sober and gained 40 pounds, you know? So, uh, and Tammy, I want to ask you about this, to this question. Do you think it would be helpful for someone to go to Gamblers Anonymous and the sex? I mean, how would you suggest they do this in 12-step to try to get better? Would they go to both programs? Would they see different therapists? I mean, how do you think that would work? I, I've had this conversation with people. There are there were some 12-step programs that I'd never heard of before, but I thought, man, I could spend all my time in 12-step meetings. Like if, if I picked everything that could possibly be problematic for me with my compulsive behavior, I could be in 12-step meetings all the time for different things. So, so I do think, you know, we do a fantastic job at our program addressing co-occurring and we talk about food. We talk about gaming. Gaming is huge. Gaming and gambling. Gaming you know, and porn. I, yeah, yeah. A lot of the guys that come to our program, you know, when I'm asking them questions and stuff, I say, you know, and we don't want it to switch to, you know, gaming or something. I hear this all the time. Well, I'm not doing that, but, you know, so I, I need something. So I'm doing this other 
thing. And it's just as compulsive and it's taking you away from all your relationships just as much. So, so I, you know, for me, I had to address the primary thing, the thing that was going to kill me the most. And, but then I've been honest on this before, you know, I, I started out with alcohol and drugs and then I, you know, I realized I had an eating disorder and I had to, and that the shame around that one for me, you know, having to, to own, cause I should have known better. That was part of it. And, you know, and, and telling my poor dad, you know, he was like, I don't even know what that means. And I had to explain it that, you know, oh, it was awful. But anyway, but I haven't had, I have worked my recovery on all aspects. I just wrote in one of the Facebook groups I'm on for recovery because they're talking about, well, I'm, if I'm, I'm using this instead of that and all this. And I said, you know, I'm happy, joyous and free because I've addressed all of the stuff. You know, I, I, I can't live numbing out on something and be happy, joyous and free. I want to be connected with people. So, so to me, you know, if you just go, well, now I'm spending seven hours gambling or gaming or whatever, you know, you're still not enjoying people. Well, as we say, you know, the addictions are the tip of the iceberg and there's a lot underneath. And so as long as this person is bouncing back and forth between these issues, they're not going to get to what's driving it. By the way, it may well be that a psychiatrist would be useful. This person could have OCD. They could have anxiety. They could have so much depression that they have to reach for something. Um, I had a family member. I never told you this, Tammy. I had a, fa a close family member whose husband was a gambler. And, you know, first time she found out, it's like, okay, we'll go to therapy, work on it. But the second time she found out, no more credit cards, no more checks, delete all of the uh, accounts and your Amazon. You don't get to, in other words, she took charge of the finances and she, she wasn't taking over his life. She was protecting herself. And I think that you have a right to say, I'm handling the finances and you don't get to touch a penny unless you ask me for it because you have a problem and I'm not going to suffer as a result. And by the way, I hope you're not having sex with this person because it's, you could just, if he's gambling, then you can get HPV too. So I'm a little concerned that you're the one asking this question. You know, where is your spouse? I would be, like Tammy said, oh my God, two issues at once. What am I going to do? I'd be running to every corner to try to get better. Um, and by the way, Gamblers Honest is a great program. Did you know, Tammy, let me just say this, that um, one of the hardest, if not, as, as difficult as sex is gambling. It is so enticing and the person's head goes into fantasy and it's all about the rewards that come when you don't know they're going to come. So I got, I won. Okay. I can't wait till the next time I win. And that's what they're betting on is that you will keep going because you have this idea of what you're going to have the next time. And when I'm looking at porn, I'm thinking about, Oh, well, the next image and the next image. And it's the same kind of the next card, the next card. It's all about dopamine, by the way, which is longing and anticipation. That's what the hormone releases feelings of. So uh, this is a multi-pronged problem, accountability, multiple issues, maybe some mental health stuff, but, and, and protection protecting yourself as a spouse. Maybe you need to see a lawyer and separate your finances. Maybe do that now. I have talked to a lot of you spouses that there's nothing wrong with a trial separation. It doesn't mean you're going to get divorced. It doesn't, but maybe it's hard to set boundaries with someone in the house or when your finances are shared or, and maybe you feel like you're threatening to leave, but then you don't really want to. And you might do something legally to protect yourself. And boy, does that give a message to the addict? Like I'm going to be out of here, you know, even if that isn't your intention. So what it's about is self-care. Um, Anything else, Tam? Oh, well, we talked about. It. Oh, there's a lot on. I mean, that. I mean, there's so much cause when you're talking about, you know, cross addictions, multiple addictions, and you know, it, 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 just switching to another one. You know, you you don't get 
the benefit of recovery. You're not really in recovery and you're more likely, I think, to relapse to the other one because it's still the primary. So, okay. Well, and one more thing, what do people mm -hmm. do in casinos other than gamble? They drink. Drink. Yeah. And they look at attractive people who are walking by half naked because that's what a casino <laughs> keeps you in there. So how likely would it be? I'm going to have a drink. Oh, that person's hot. I'm going to go up to, the, you know, th this is going to undermine both pieces. So mm -hmm. anyway, I'll stop. Okay. So the next question, at what point in a sex addiction cycle does the addict experience their high? All the way through. Um, the first minute I think about, oh, that would be fun. The neurochemistry starting. And then when I, and all the fantasies about what I could do and what I, it starts with fantasy. So fantasy ups my, uh, the release of my um, adrenaline and endorphins. I start to get excited just with the fantasy. And then the fantasy leads to setting up behaviors, getting money out of the bank, changing my clothes, lying to you, and then eventually the acting out. But I think the whole cycle is about getting high on our own neurochemistry. You know, um, I, it's a long story. I don't want to tell the story. But um, but when there's a shock to the system, an emotional shock to the system, people want to, run, these folks want to run away. And um, anyway, I'm going to let you jump in there, Tammy. No, I, I think I think that that is is absolutely accurate. It's the entire thing for the planning, the experiencing, the fantasizing about it afterwards, a lull till you start all over again. So, you know, some people are really quick cycles. Some people are a longer one, you know, periods in between or some of them are what, using other things. So. And what we're talking about, folks, is how you get from point A to point B, because there is something that we teach about the whole cycle of addiction, because it is a cycle. And the reason it's a cycle, because the reason it's a cycle is because there's no way out. The way you deal with your stressors, your anxiety, even the good things, any feelings is to run into the behavior. And then you're going to have feelings by doing the behavior, shame, discomfort, you know, you're lying and feeling uncomfortable and shameful leads to the behavior. So it is, it's a cycle that people, that's why we do treatment. That's why there are CSATs. We have to interrupt this cycle um, at any point, really, and teach people how to move on from it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.